The Guardian. Over the past few months, many of us will have had what can only be described as a crash course in statistics and epidemiology, in a way we never could have imagined back in January. To understand the outbreak, we've had to become familiar with concepts like the effective reproduction number, viral load and case fatality ratios. Another new value recently came under our noses here at Science Weekly, the positivity rate. It's a number that the World Health Organization has set as one of their criteria in determining whether an outbreak is controlled or not. Looking at that positivity rate helps to tell us uh, things like whether or not our testing tracing is about to be overwhelmed. I'm Nicola Davis, and this is Science Weekly. To find out what exactly the positivity rate is and what it means for monitoring COVID-19 outbreaks, I decided to call on an expert for a quick lesson. You can call me Professor Roland Keogh at the University of Edinburgh Roslyn Institute. So my official title is the Sir Timothy O'Shea Professor of Veterinary Epidemiology and Data Science. But you could just call me a professor in epidemiology if you wish. Fantastic. Yes, that's quite a mouthful. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> impressive that I remember it, I think, is the big thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Roland, there's been a focus on all sorts of numbers as the pandemic has developed over the past few months. So we've talked a lot about the R value uh, and we've talked about the K value as well. But now there is another number which seems to be important um, and particularly in terms of how we adjust social distancing rules and those sort of efforts. And this is the positivity rate. So can you just explain to us what this number is? So in terms of positivity, what you're looking at is If you take a certain number of tests, how many of those tests are you getting that are positive? And the reason why that's important, of course, is because what it does, it tells us what the underlying burden of infection is in the population. And that's important, of course, because you can have an R number, you can have a number of the the trend in which the direction things are going. But because the uh, number of deaths, the amount of burden on the healthcare services depends on what proportion of the population is infected, the number of positive tests is really important for understanding where we are in terms of controlling it. How many tests do you need to do for this to be a robust measure? I mean, we've had a lot about the number of tests, for example, that were being done in the UK over the past few months. Is there a sort of certain number of tests or certain sort of per, know, for the size of the population that, that you need to do? Unfortunately, it's one of those numbers which there is no clear answer. And, and the reason why there is no clear answer is because there is going to be regional variation. So you know that at, at different points in the epidemic, uh, different parts of the country had had different number of cases. So if you imagine, say it was way back in March, if you did all of your tests in London, you would have given a very, very different understanding of what prevalence is compared to what you did as if you distributed those tests all over uh, the UK. Um, And so what you really need is an even sampling across the country if you want to have a good idea of what the prevalence is. That's interesting about needing to have that sort of even spread, because I was going to ask if if there's a problem with with biases. So, for example, if you're asking people to have a test if they have symptoms, again, you're going to have a bit of a bias or a very large bias, presumably compared with if you just go out and pick people at random. 
Absolutely. And, and I think one of the things you're highlighting by asking that particular question is the difference between testing that you're doing for diagnostic purposes, which is where you're trying to understand whether particular individuals are infected or not, or testing to understand the population level of disease. Because if you're trying to do the first one, then naturally what you're going to try to do is to test the people who you think are most likely to be infected. If you're doing the second one, what you want to be doing is making sure that you're picking out people at the same rate at which they actually are infected. And, and you really can't do both at the same time without having an enormous number of tests. Is there sort of a threshold in positivity rate above which it sort of is, almost isn't feasible for, for it to be that high across the population and therefore they must be testing with a very strong bias? Or, you know, is there a particular positivity rate which suggests more tests are simply needed? There are unfortunately is no simple answer to that question because if you have, for example, remember that um, very early on in the pandemic, people were estimated potentially hundreds of thousands of people uh, being infected and dying due to COVID-19 if, in fact, you didn't do anything to control it. And what that sort of tells you is that the expected number of positive tests, the positivity rate that you would get, partially depends on the extent to which you've controlled the epidemic. And so if you've controlled it well, you would expect those numbers to go down. It is certainly possible that high numbers or high proportions of the population are infected. And this is one area where um, using mathematical, statistical and simulation models can really help you because what they do is they help you to understand the underlying processes which lead to the observed pattern of tests that you get. Uh, but that certainly is, is a lot more work than can be explained uh, just in a couple of minutes. Now, in America, President Donald Trump has been butting heads with his top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, claiming that the reason the epidemic in the US looks so bad is because they're performing so many tests. Now, the more tests you do, the more positive cases you'll get. But can you put this in context of the positivity rate for me? What do you make of the president's statement? As with so many other things, he's just wrong. <laughs> I mean, there, there is an element of, of that where you know it's often been said, if you don't want to find something, you don't look for it. So if you're testing at a very, uh, very low rate, then there's a, every chance that you'll have picked up nothing. But the point that you've made, which is absolutely correct, is that it's the rate that matters. So if I do 10 tests and get one positive, then that means the same thing as if I get do 100 tests and get 10 positive because the rate is the same. Now, obviously, the more tests you do, the more statistically certain you are that the answer you have is reasonable, subject, of course, to um, variation in the tests and to the test sensitivity. So from what you've said there, it sounds like if you do lots more tests, you might get a higher absolute number of positive cases, positive tests of COVID-19. But the proportion of positive tests, this positivity rate, should be lower if the epidemic is under control. So in that respect, can we use the positivity rate to more accurately compare outbreaks in different countries? We can to some extent. Now, you know, all, obviously, as you compare between countries, there are a lot of cautions that you have to put with regards to comparing them. So first of all, what you've already mentioned is that there are going to be biases and those biases will be different in the different countries, depending on what criteria they use for testing. 
The second thing is going to be when you're taking the samples, and in particular for things like the, the, the throat node swabs, if you don't do it right, if you do it sloppily, then your chances of getting a positive test are, are going to go down. And then there's also differences in the lab, uh, whether or not the labs are following accepted procedures, or um, whether, for that matter, you're getting uh, undue numbers of false positives. So this thing can go both ways, of course, right? So you can miss uh, some cases because the test hasn't picked it up. There will be times when you think the test has picked up a positive, uh, but it hasn't really. So why has positivity rate become an important consideration now? Why weren't we looking at it perhaps to start with? I mean, one of the things to think about is in the early days of the pandemic, essentially all we were doing is trying to as rapidly as we could contain what was out there because we knew it was going up. And so the proportion the infected was less important than having that explosive epidemic phase. Now we're in a very different situation. Numbers have gone down. We're at a relatively low level. We have a good way of testing and tracing, or at least one that's getting better. And so looking at that positivity rate becomes much more important because it helps to tell us uh, things like whether or not our testing and tracing is about to be overwhelmed. What are the areas where we should really be looking at in terms of uh, doing better disease control, for example? Can we use positivity rate to inform testing policies or to inform sort of which measures we're relaxing from the lockdown next? How, how can we use this number? Yeah, I mean, potentially, there are various things that we can do with it. Um, so the first of it is that it gives you a little bit more information beyond just the symptomatic cases as what the true changes in the disease prevalence are. Okay, so then the number of people positive changing over time helps you to estimate the, the R number. The other thing that it helps us to do is to understand whether or not regional differences in the number of infected people allows you to put into place uh, things like local lockdown measures. So especially if we're doing those population-type surveys, what it tells you is, okay, if I see a large number of people who've been exposed in a certain area, that suggests there's disease circulating in that area. Whereas if I go to another area and you don't see that, it suggests it's not. And I can define the areas in which I would choose to introduce more uh, stringent restrictions on travel, for example, or people uh, gathering in large numbers. So we've talked a bit about how we can use this number. I mean, is there a kind of threshold for the positivity rate below which you know, you could relax all of the lockdown measures or is it all relative? I would say it's more of the latter. It's more that it's relative. And, and the key thing that's relative to is your ability to control outbreaks and to prevent general circulation in the population. And so what I mean by that is that when you have um, small outbreaks, then when you go about tracing individuals to find out who infected whom, you've got a reasonable chance of knowing, aha, if I find this infected person um, and I trace all their contacts, that I've actually captured the pattern by which the disease is moving from individual to individual. Yeah? If it turns out that you have this term that I was calling general circulation, what that means is now that the possible routes by which a person is infected is multiple. Okay, that, that there's so much infection going on that you are no longer able to try to figure out who was the person who was infecting whom. And once you've done that, that's when you know that your test and trace is ineffective. And that's going to be related to this positivity rate. If the number of people out there who are infected is very high, that's when it's very hard to tell where the source of your infection is. 
That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Science Weekly podcast. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you as well. Thanks again to Roland for joining us this week. As always, do keep sending us your questions on the science behind the outbreak by filling in the form found at theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions. That's all one word. Our sister podcast, Today in Focus, is also doing some great coverage of the COVID-19 outbreak, so make sure to have a listen. Just search Today in Focus wherever you get your podcasts. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.